0: There's just...
1: That particular letter by the commissioner of baseball. It was time for spring training. He didn't know what the desire of the president of the United States would be. So he a letter, simple handwriting there, asking, what's your desire for baseball? We understand what the responsibility of each individual is, but what about baseball as a whole? Should the 16 teams continue to play in the U.S. and Canada? When we think about letters, we see letters relations. We see thank you notes. We see sympathy letters. We see letters to friends. We see letters that mandate certain things. But what does it mean for you and I to be a letter of Christ? When we think about the passage that's just been read, we think about Paul writing and using really the idea of a letter in two different ways. One, he says... I want you to be a letter of commendation or recommendation. And then second, he's teaching in this, as they are that letter, they are to be a letter that is written by Jesus Christ. Now as we think about this, I'd like for you to go uh, to, at least in your mind, and if you want to flip to some of these, look at this next screen. As we think about the idea of recommendation is not something that It's just new to us today. In other words, right now in in my mailbox, I have a letter of recommendation that I'm to write on behalf of someone else. I do that pretty often for folks to go in uh, to schools or for jobs or for clubs or whatever it may be. And so as we think about this, this is something that goes back thousands of years. It's something that was very active in the New Testament. For example, if we were to read in Philippians, 24, Paul is commending the church of uh, Philippi to accept Timothy. As a matter of fact, he says, I have no one else like-minded like he to send to you. He'll care for your needs. In other words, he's saying to that church of Philippi, welcome him. I can tell you, you can trust him. And when he sends him over uh, to Corinth, he even says, let no one despise him says very things about Apollos and that they should welcome Apollos also. When we see Phoebe is moving to Rome in Romans the 16th chapter in verse 1 Paul tells her Paul tells on behalf of her, receive her and assist her in whatever business that she has and then that little short book of verse 10 Paul clearly makes his appeal. I want you to receive that servant back Onesimus, he was the runaway slave, and really, the whole book of Philemon is a book saying, "I want to recommend this man to you. He's your runaway slave. I want you to welcome him back and treat him like a brother." In Acts 18th chapter, verse 27, notice as Apollos is being recommended, this is how it was described. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So what did they do? They wrote a letter so that wherever he went, he'd be... His reputation previously was the baptism of John the Baptist. But you see, Aquila and Priscilla had taught him the way more perfectly. Now, he was very mighty in Scripture and eloquent in speech, but... Would faithful congregations accept him now? They would now because now he had a letter saying he's truly a man of God. He preaches the whole truth. And so that letter of recommendation was taken. Now, as we see here examples of letters of recommendation, hopefully it will make us better appreciate the text that has just been read. Drop back and look at the ver- first verse that was read, but I'd like for us to even drop back one verse earlier. When you look back in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, notice verse 17. This, is, this paragraph is really laying the groundwork chapter. Verse 17, he says, For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, We speak in the sight of God and in Christ. You see, there were many false apostles. As a matter of fact, even scholars are surprised, if you will, at the fact that Paul would literally say here, for we are not as so many. What were so many in that day and time that were preaching and teaching the Word of God? It's the idea of a huckster. It's the idea of one that retails the gospel. It's the idea of someone who decides to make their Christian faith or the preaching of the gospel a financial turn for them. And so he's saying, we're not one of those peddlers. Now, that should be no surprise to us that even this early in church, we go back even earlier than this in church history to Acts the 8th chapter. And you remember Simon the sorcerer when he was converted? He saw the power of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, he saw the power of the Holy Spirit as it was relayed through the apostles' hands to another. And when he saw that it could be transferred from one to another, he said, I want to buy the power so that when I lay my hands on others, they too may have the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was condemned by Peter and said that his money would perish with him and that he ought to pray forgiveness. You see, the idea... Of serving God and using what God through His Word to accomplish things other than what the Word has designed, in other words, to accomplish selfish gain is something that has happened ever since the church has been established. There are individuals that worship at a certain church because they think it will help their business that's the main reason why Individuals, that are involved to the level that they are because they believe that it's a good financial move for them. When we look, especially among many TV evangelists today, and we see the financial empires that they have built, you know, one of the best-known women preachers today, just a year or so ago, she was audited by the government because her and her family made more than what the law would allow for them to make taking a percentage of the income overall. In other words, by law, a family can only make so much percentage profit. And her family had far exceeded that. Friends, there's examples today, and there's been examples for over 2,000 years how individuals have peddled the Word of God. Now notice what Paul says. He says, I'm not like those many people out there that are peddling the Word of God. And he gives four things of insight. Same verse in 17. Notice. Notice. About a consciousness of... Notice how... But as of sincerity. You want to go to this one? All right. Notice as we go to verse... Uh, 17 where he says peddling the word of God but as of sincerity now as we see that sincerity there we see that what he's making a plea for is I didn't peddle the gospel to you I came and I offered the gospel to you in a very honest sense the word sincere means singleness of thought In other words, he didn't have the idea that I want to offer you something from God, but I also want to turn it and twist it into something that would be a benefit for me. He says, I wanted to take the gospel and I want to present it to you in a sincere fashion. When we think of honestly, why do we live the Christian life? Can we say that it is a sincere, it is an honest effort to simply live for God? But notice not only was it the consciousness of honesty, but notice it also was of divinity. Notice again the rest of 17. But as of sincerity, but as from God. Paul, where did you get this message? He says, I brought this message straight from God. Do you remember what Jesus Christ said when He was 12 years old? That I must be about my Father's business. Why did Paul preach? Paul preached because he had a message from God. The pulpit is not a stump for political leanings. The pulpit is not a place for the hobbies of the preacher or for the good storytelling. The pulpit is not a place for hot topics of society. Paul made it very clear. I can tell you why I'm sincere. I can tell you why I'm not a peddler of the gospel. It's because the gospel I bring to you is straight from God. But notice the accountability. Not only did he say there in 17 it was from God, but he says we speak in the sight of God. Imagine, if you will, someone asks you to give someone else a message. And so you listen carefully and you have that message in mind. The next time you see that individual, you start relaying that message to them. And as you do, the person that has asked you to give that message walks up. Now there's three of you. You are giving a message to an individual standing in front of the person that asked you to give the message. You pause for a moment and you say, well, here they are. They can just tell you. And that person says, no, no. You go right ahead. Give the message I asked you to give. How careful are you going to be? Oh, you mean I have to give this message from you in the sight of you? Let me make sure I leave my opinion out of this. Let me try to the best of my ability to make sure that it's all of what you said. Exactly. Do we realize when we enter a Bible class? Do we realize when a coworker asks us what the Bible says? Do we realize that when a preacher enters the pulpit, do we realize that we are to be sent from God and what we say is said in the sight of God? It is so important for us to realize the accountability that God is holding to us. And if not, we become peddlers of the gospel. But notice the Christliness of it. We do all of this, he says, in Christ. That's all we want. We want to live a life in Christ. We want to speak words that would encourage others to live a life in Christ. Now... You haven't forgotten the theme, have you? This morning's theme is that of letters. And so why would Paul even bring up the fact in the first verse of the third chapter, do you need a letter of commendation? Well, he's bringing it up because it had been so common for there to be peddlers of the gospel that many times when someone came into town, they wanted to see the letter of commendation. And so Paul... In a tone of sarcasm says in the third chapter in verse 1, Do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some others? You see there the emphasis? The some others goes back in 17 to so many peddling the word. Do we need what others need? Do you need a letter of recommendation? Now think about the irony of this. Paul was the one that came into them the very first time and taught them of Jesus Christ. In other words, they didn't know how to become a Christian without Paul coming into their town. He taught them how to become a Christian. They didn't know anything about the church. Paul taught them about the church. What they knew about spiritual living, they had learned from the year and a half that Paul had spent with them. Now, he's been away for a little while. He wants to come to them again. And he says, you've got to be kidding You would want a letter of commendation? Now notice this clever answer. And I don't mean clever as in it's weak. It's brilliant because it carries such a powerful punch. He says, oh, okay. Sure, that's a good idea. I'll give you a letter. You are our epistle written in our hearts. You are an epistle of Christ. Wait a minute, Paul, what do you mean? What do you mean, we the people of Corinth, what do you mean the church at Corinth, we're your letter? He says, well, you want to know what I teach about how to become a Christian? You've done it. Because I taught you. You want to know what I believe about the church? Look at you. I'm the one that taught you. The way you're organized is the way I've taught you. The way you worship is the way I taught you. The way you seek God's guidance and God's forgiveness is the way I taught you. Your mission of the church that you're carrying out, it's the way I taught you. But notice this epistle. He says, this epistle is written in our hearts Now, as we move from the previous sub point to this point, I want you to link some things together here. Teachers, parents, elders, ministers, are you comfortable with the realization that the way people live their life says a lot about how you teach? I realize each individual has to make up their own minds and their own decisions, and there will always be those that will rebel against what they are taught. They will rebel against what they know. I'm not talking about those exceptions like that. I'm simply thinking about the principle that Paul is presenting here. Someone could say, what do the elders at Mount Juliet Church of Christ believe about salvation? You are a written letter about what the elders believe here about salvation. So it says, does David still believe that baptism is essential for salvation? You are an answer to that question. Your life is the letter. What do we believe about morality? Do we think social drinking is just a wonderful exercise in community culture? What do the elders believe about that here? You are a letter what the elders believe. The world dresses immodestly. Surely, surely the preacher wouldn't preach against that. You are a letter stating to the world what the church, her leaders, her preachers, her teachers teach in Mount Julian. Are you relating a truthful message? It'd be a shame for you to live an immoral life and tell people that you're a member of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ because what you're doing is slapping the elders in the face saying, I've been lying about what you've been teaching. It's a slap to your teachers and preachers. It's saying, I've been lying what you've been preaching and teaching. There's probably a lot of people that have a false judgment now about the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. Friends, Just as certain as the Lord said, We're the light of the world, we're the salt, we're branches, we're sheep, He also said, We're a letter. Our life is an open letter just waiting to be read. And you know what? Paul makes it clear it is read. Let's look at verse 2 and 3 and link these two verses together as we think about this, as we start wrapping this final point together in this lesson. Look at 2 and 3. He says, You are our epistle, written in our hearts, now notice this phrase, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, Written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of flesh. That is, of the heart. Now notice that last part in verse 3 there. It's written not on the tablets of stone, like the Ten Commandments were. And if you read on the following verses, you'd see that's exactly what he's referring to here. But this message is no longer now on cold tablets. But it is to become alive. Flesh is alive. And it is taken in a heart that is alive for God. And when that message of the heart is taken to the heart, what we see is we see something that's very convincing. Do you see there, again, back at the end of verse 2, where he says, talking about them being epistle, he says, known and read by all men. Do you realize that your neighbors and your co workers and your family that's not a part of the church, do you realize that all they know about Christianity is what they read in your life? Now, think for a minute how many books have been written. Think how many library shelves are full of books written by scholarly people that's truthful. It's good books. It's books about Christian evidence. It's books about the blessing of the Christian life. It's doctrinal truths about how to be saved, to be redeemed, the grace of God, salvation, the church, etc. But now, let's be honest with ourselves. Your neighbor, picture one of your neighbors. How many of those books have they read lately? Most of us would have to say they probably haven't read one in a lifetime well what are they going to read what are they going to read to learn about Christianity and here's the power in this message they're going to read you Paul says don't you realize to the church at Corinth who had struggled they had some doctrinal issues about the resurrection. They had issues of immorality with fornication. They had brothers taking brothers to court and bringing an embarrassment to the church. They had their share of issues and of problems. And you know what Paul is pleading with them at this point? He's pleading with them to see, don't you see that what the world is understanding about Christianity They're not picking up the books written by scholars. And as sad as it is, most are not picking up the book written by God. But what is known and read by all is your life. They're reading your life. Now, it's legible. Do you see there how he begins verse 3 by saying clearly? I wonder if, if uh, we said how many of you write legibly. There would probably be some here with wonderful penmanship. But then we said who doesn't? Uh, there would be others of us here. That literally to read a letter that we would write. You might miss the meaning. You know on the screen there you see a letter that. It's written in such a way it can be read. Now, probably the person that wrote that letter could read that letter, and they probably expect other people to be able to read that letter, but you know what? That letter cannot be written, or cannot be read. Are you writing a letter in your life that can be read? The beautiful thing is that when we live for the Lord, it is a letter that can be read. As a matter of fact, even children can read it. Individuals can see the beauty of Jesus living in the life of an individual. Families that are neighbors to a Christian, those families can read a letter that's written by the Lord. How many children at school have a Christian teacher in the school? And they look at that teacher and they love that teacher. They can read that there's something different. How many have a coworker at work that's a faithful Christian and others value them because of their integrity, because of their work ethic, and they can read that there's a difference? Paul, he says, you are known and read by all men. It's clearly seen. Now notice also he teaches, it is because you're written by the Spirit of the living God. You see, it's the Holy Spirit living in us. It's when our life is literally the fruit of the Spirit. We are a letter that convinces others to dig deeper, to find Jesus in their own life. And it's in that that the letter endures. You know, you might think, well, if you just put the letter on stones, it would last a lot longer. Or maybe if you put it on a certain kind of paper and put it in a vault it would do much better. But you know, God's plan has always been for us to take the teachings of this new covenant and place them not only in our heart, but then to live them so that it becomes our life. When we think of that, we think of a letter of recommendation we think of a letter of Christ and we think about our own lives. This past week, you've written a letter. Now, you may have written one on paper, but actually in your own life, you've written a letter this past week. What has it said? Could people understand clearly what a Christian life looks like? Was it convincing that it truly is a wonderful life? Does the love of God show through your life? Do the convictions of God show in your life? Does the hope of God show in your life? Does the trust for God show in your life? What letter have you written? In just a moment, we're about to sing a song of invitation. And I want to urge you, as we sing this song, to think about your life. You can't not write a letter. The question is, who's going to write it? Selfish? Satan-influenced? Or godly? Christ-influenced? Written by the Spirit of God. Paul had a lot to deal with as a missionary. Think how interesting it was for him to have to say, you want a letter of recommendation? I spent a year and a half with you, and you want a letter of recommendation? Look at yourselves. That's the letter. You don't know who it is, but at some time in your life, and many times in your life, we're going to be surrounded by people that are looking for God. We may not even know it at the time. But a Christian life is a letter that will encourage them to find God. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, or if you have but yet have strayed from Him, won't you come back to Him today? As we see in this study in 2 Corinthians, it is about our own salvation. But it's also so much about our influence about the many people that we will influence. Who are you helping get to heaven? We won't know on this side of eternity who all it is as long as we're writing a letter that's being written by the Holy Spirit because that letter is being read and known by all men. If we can help you in any way, comes we stand, as we sing.